and welcome back to another episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. I'm Richard Davison, and I'm joined by my good buddies, Malcolm Beltran and Ethan Hoffman. Now, guys, we are here today to discuss on the three-man weave, three-man pod, the all-time teams bracket. We are doing round one today, and I just gotta, I gotta ask you, how you feeling? How you doing? Are you ready for it? Um, I am definitely ready to do this. Feeling a little bit under the weather, getting over a cold, but I'm ready to get at this. I'm I'm back to the rain in Portland after spending a week in Phoenix, but yeah, I'm ready to talk about basketball. Always ready for that. Well, we need to inform the listeners. We made some executive decisions um, pre-pod today. If you listen to the last pod, well, first off, if you haven't, you need to go back to listen to the last pod where we uh, kind of set the stage for today and our next pod, which was essentially, well, who we want to do like an all-team kind of uh, bracket where, where we pick eight teams, uh, eight teams that, you know, are either all-time or just ones that we were interested, you know, in seeing how they would match up against some all-time teams. Uh, that was my little caveat for the 0304 Pistons to, to sneak them in there. But we made some executive, executive decisions. We were unsure about the Spurs. Which Spurs team would we take, 0405 or the, uh, you know, where when Duncan's older, 13-14 team that put an end to the uh, to, to the Heat. Um, and I think we also made some executive decisions to – that was the only change we made. Everyone else, we, we kind of kept the same from what Elkin and I had discussed last week. So we've, we've got our teams, guys. And uh, I think that we can probably get started by going straight into our first matchup, unless anyone has something they want to say before we do that. All right, head shaking, head shaking now. Let's get going. Our first matchup is uh, the one versus the eight seed, which again, we're, we're randomly chosen. Uh, we've got the 2012-2013 Miami Heat versus the 2000-2001 Los Angeles Lakers. Wow, just just um, uh, right off the bat, we got we got our, our super team that was formed, you know, to kind of launch us into the era of super teams versus uh, one of the originals just completely dominant in the playoffs. And we've got prime Shaq early yeah, super athletic Kobe uh, versus the, versus the big three guys. Where do we want to start here? Well, I think the most important thing is to just try to figure out what Shaq's deal for this series is, because he's obviously going to have a very impactful um, offensive game. I think Chris Bosh would have a hard time doing with him, and Chris Bosh is the biggest guy the Heat have on this roster. I, I think Shaq would be almost unstoppable offensively. It'd just be a matter of how often they go to Shaquille O'Neal. So I'm looking at some stats here for the regular season. I'm going to go to the postseason later. Um, Shaq was second on the team in field goal attempts, but also, um, <clears throat> excuse me, he was also um, leading the team in free throw attempts. So him and Kobe Bryant's actual, like, you know, I'd say sh- shooting opportunities were very similar. Um, I'm curious to see, you know, how true to form that would play out in the playoffs, especially against a team like the Miami Heat. But I, I want to go be first and foremost to say I don't think there's anyone on the Heat team that can individually slow Shaquille O'Neal down. I'm wondering if there's some options uh, because of the lack of, true depth pieces to the this this Lakers team 
that the Heat could, you know, double a lot with the kind of their swarming defense to make some things difficult for Shaq. Yeah, and and even with this, I think Ethan brought up a good uh, point as far as how much are they going to go to Shaq in the post. In this 3P, I would say you're still in the realm where Kobe realized in the playoffs that he needed to go to Shaq a lot. And um, I was telling Richard this, that my dad recorded a lot of these playoff series from the early 2000s because I was away in the summers working. And looking back at those games, and you can find some of them on YouTube still, it's interesting to see the offensive, um, how they shared the load. It was pretty much Shaq three quarters and then Kobe in the fourth. I think what's going to be interesting for me is just how what are we getting from Shaq defensively on those, on those pick and rolls? Because, I mean, I can imagine that happening a few times that the Heat are just going to be like, let's see what we have. And you said offensively, you're right, Ethan, like, Shaq is going to be an issue, complete issue, but I think defensively it'll be interesting to see what the Lakers would do with Shaq and where they would put him. And for me, starting off with the Lakers, I'm just looking at it because um, you kind of want to have it, you know, you kind of want it spread around Shaq. So I'll be interested to see what lineup would they would they go with because they did play Horace Grant was their starting power forward, but if they really want to get some shooters there, they would switch him out and put a Robert Ory who could definitely shoot the three. It'll be interesting to see what they would go with going against a team like the Heat. Yeah, I think um, I think that the Lakers, I, I know for a fact, the Lakers would be at a great shooting deficit. I mean, we can talk all day about how Dwayne Wade wasn't much of a shooter and Kobe Bryant kind of matches his enthusiasm for not being a super efficient um, three-point shooter. I mean, mid-range, they're very similar. I mean, we know historically – and overall, Dwayne Wade, more efficient player than Kobe. We know that it's met metrically proven. We don't have to harp on that. Um, but if you look at the, the the Heat's depth pieces, we're talking about guys like that. That is their job. It, that is Ray Allen's job. That is um, Mike Miller's job. The Heat were the second best three-point shooting team in the league this year. I believe it was to, behind the Spurs, who had a couple guys who you know, shot pretty smoothly. But we're talking about Shane Battier, Ray Allen, Mike Miller, Mario Chalmers, LeBron James that season all shot over 40% from three, and that's not going continuing down the list. Rashard Lewis shot 89% from three. Oh my gosh, Rashard Lewis! I'm just saying he he played he played some minutes there um, to like just kind of help with some size and just to swap it around in the playoffs. I'm looking at a, a different metric. Um, that's when. Chris Bosh joins the list of a 40% shooters. LeBron took a tiny tick back. Chris Bosh joins the list of guys shooting over uh, 40% from three. So, like, this team had no problem getting shots up and into the hoop. Um, and with with Shaq being out there, I don't think that there would be – I think there would be a healthy diet of wide-open threes. One thing that I want to make note of, and I think it's probably important for us to think through in each of these is, like – in crunch time, who like not not to say crunch time, but like in a playoff setting, who are these teams like? How deep are they going? Because if you look at in the playoffs, the Los Angeles Lakers really only went seven deep as far as anyone getting more than ten minutes a game. Going, you know, Brian Shaw, Robert Ory, the only guys off the bench. Tyron Lue only getting about eight to nine minutes, right? Ron Harper only seven. So like they they didn't go very deep. But you look at the Miami Heat and. They're going about 10 deep, right? Mike Miller getting uh, 13 and a half. Chris Anderson, Udonis Haslam. Do you expect, you expect those guys? And probably in a series here, Joel Anthony getting a little more minutes just to be a body to to you know try to you know hack a shack. 
you know, you, you look at Norris Norris Cole getting minutes uh, as well. Like the, they they went pretty deep here, and and I think that that's an, an interesting uh, thing to think about. Like I I worry I, I don't know like what what is Norris Cole's role in 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 this series? I just remember seeing a lot of him and, and thinking, man, defensively, I don't know about Norris Cole. I was a little bit hesitant whenever I would see him in the playoffs, and I, like, I was hesitant there. I mean, his playoff numbers were pretty, pretty nice offensively, but uh, you know, shooting fifty three percent from three, one and a half attempts. But like Derek Fisher, right? Is, is he going to be covering him? Well, Derek Fisher shooting fifty two percent from three in the playoffs, and in this, and so like, it's I um oh on, on four and a half attempts per um per game. So I I don't know. It's interesting. There's way more depth on this Heat team. I just wonder what that would look like in a potential matchup. Well, and the reason I think the Heat's depth is actually a value add here is because you're getting depth from a lot of different positions. Yeah, like the point guard position always a little a little lacking with the Heat. But keep in mind that at any given time, they could go LeBron and Dwayne Wade kind of at the one-two, if you want to like just think of them as the two guards out there. And you're not really losing a playmaking role because those guys are the playmakers anyway like you know mario chalmers and norris cole will primarily catch and shoot and attack off you know a, a hard closeout so like when you're when you add that like you're, you're keeping size on the court more often more often than not i think with the heat and you're adding guys like you know ray allen who was still like a not a great defender but like a guy who knew where to be at all times mike miller six eight again like kind of like the whole you know just being tall helps you know he just being big is a, an asset. And then obviously Shane Battier, who made the transition from playing the three to the four um, in these these seasons. Just a guy who is, you know, in the right spots all the time. Every, all these guys that were like bit players for the Heat, much like this Lakers team that we're, we're comparing them to, most of their role players were on the back ends of their career were finding that finesse game. But what I like the most about the Heat's guys is all of them are shooters. Yeah, and this is, I think, a theme that we will find with some of the older teams here. Like, because we've set this in the rules of the new era. Well, I mean, teams are going to take the amount of threes that they need to. But I think, especially when we talk about the older teams, like, I think that that's going to have a huge, going to play a huge part. I think with the, especially with, you know, this is one of the last teams, uh, pre-rule changes, that uh, as far as uh, you know defensive illegal defense and i think that that plays a really big part in this series because you know you the ability to help off off ball and and kind of do more you know be more in a, in a zone if you need to to provide pre-help on these shack post-ups like that's a big thing whereas if you you know you a lot of time couldn't go about doing it unless you were sending you know sending the double once he has the ball and i mean by that sometimes by that time it's too late now I think you can do a little bit of preloading defensively. And, you know, like you said, off of maybe it's, you know, maybe it's off of Rick Fox or I, I'm, I'm not, not totally sure. But you look around and maybe once they get into in, into their bench, I, I don't know. I just look at this and I think to myself, this Lakers team was built for this for this particular era and was especially dominant in this particular era. I just, I think that that rule change over and over and over again in is going to be a really big part of this discussion um, for, for, for a few different reasons. But I think here, I think it just allows you to maybe 
limit the entry passes to Shaq in the in the way that he didn't have to deal with back in the day. Yeah, and I think the the best way to kind of cope with some of these, you know, era changes and how to like really understand like what we can look at differently to compare them is, you know, try to look at per 100 possessions statistics more so than per game stats cuz you're going to see the like the teams in the more modern era, their stats are going they might go up a little bit just because it's they play less than 100 like might play a little under 100 pace. But these these teams in the 90s and and sometimes back for the, maybe not the 80s because the 80s were up and down quite a bit. But keeping an eye on that because like I look at Derek Fisher's three point attempts, they go up from four and a half to six and almost six and a half. So like you can kind of see like a uh, you can see like oh well he is more he's okay he's looking more like an active shooter now. You know it's something that he's he's getting he's actually seeking shots out. It might not be so true to the play style, but like that's something you would see change pretty quickly is what people have to do to just maintain, you know, any kind of semblance. Like, I think the craziest thing to, to watch in these series, if, if we could, if we had that capacity, is how, like, the old school team would change up how they play or would, like, it'd be such a punch in the mouth for some of these new school teams, like, they would, you know, like, I, who can double down on their abilities better is, I think, the best way to look at who would win. And I think, I think the, uh, the Heat would be able to double down on their swarming you know high pressure defense more so than the lakers can try to kill you one uh, post up at a time yeah i i mean you, know, you talk about going to per 100 possessions and uh stanislav Mevodenko is averaging 43 points per game uh because of his getting no minutes and probably coming in and throwing throwing stuff up but uh i i yeah i i i look i look at this team i just I think that the way that the Lakers win is by Shaq. I mean, it, the way that you win is by Shaq being being completely dominant and unstoppable. And while we don't have a single person, we don't think on the Lakers, sorry, on, on the Heat that can stop him. Like you said, I think I think that the ability to uh, you know help off of others and then be able to you know spread on on the other end, spread them out. Everyone's able to shoot uh, except for Wade. Maybe Wade's. You know, not as impactful uh, offensively in, in in this series, but I don't I don't think that matters. Like, like who's I don't know. I don't see Rick Fox doing a whole lot with LeBron James. Prime LeBron James. Like I, no, I just don't no see it. Uh, I I, rec- I recognize. Yeah, I recognize Shaq's there. Like, but guess what? You, you have Chris Bosh. You know, spreading out, and, and maybe I don't know. Like, I guess now you think about it. Well, if, if you can play a little bit more zone. Maybe the Lakers could find ways to stash Shaq closer to the rim, but I, I just don't think that they're able to overcome it, uh, overcome the issues that this Heat team uh, puts forth. Yeah, I, I just, I think even if you do get pretty creative with like a roaming middle defender Shaq, you're still like you're you're giving up so many like still good options. Like the Heat might not want to settle for a lot of mid rangers, but guess who's also really good at making mid rangers? The Heat between Chris Bosh, LeBron, and Dwayne, all those guys were mid-range masters. As the games changed, they still had that in their in their repertoire. So you can you can cut out a little bit of three-point shooting, you can cut out LeBron's assault on the rim, but they still have really good options if you keep them a little short. And I mean, I think that's the thing with that Lakers team, Richard brought it up in that era. You did you could rely if you had like two good almost let's say one-on-one players. 
you're going to be dominant because that's what I mean. Shaq was a great one on one player. Kobe was a great one on one player. And if you kind of if you watch those playoffs, those 2000, the 2001 playoffs, that's how they started off with that streak and only lost one game in those playoffs because they were just like more or less, hey, let's take turns. You're taking over here now. You're taking over. And what made him hard, even harder, was when Kobe was just, I'm going to keep going into the lane over and over again and dishing off to Shaq or dishing off to an open shooter. Like, that's what really made it hard. And that's going to be the other thing, too. Like, let's just say you do have a series that's getting out of control in the in the favor of the Heat. I think we kind of saw what happened a, a few years later against the Pistons. If the series is getting out of control, there is a tendency for one Kobe Bryant to try to take over and take the ball out of Shaq's hand, which we know leads to less success for the Lakers. And that's where that would be one of my worries. And and I was trying to think of cross matchups because like the only person the Lakers would have that would, I wouldn't say even deter LeBron, but would make things interesting would be a Robert Horry. Like that's probably what they would do. They would have to put Robert Horry on, on him because I mean, Rick Fox would have to be matched up somewhere else because you're going to have limited options. Because I feel like they would probably go with Kobe Bryant on. The only thing I see him is doing Kobe Bryant on LeBron and then putting Derek Fisher on Dwayne Wade. That's the only thing I can see him shifting a little bit. Yeah, I I, I could see that as well. What one little note: the Lakers actually had uh, a better pace than the Miami Heat. Uh, they had you know uh, th- th- their pace was ninety one point seven. Uh, for, for for the Lakers versus you know the the Heat were at ninety point seven. So, well, take see, take, take out what I said. The, the Lakers are getting waxed. <laughs> they got no chance. Oh, wow. No, I just I mean, you know it's like everyone's. I just find it, it, it like that's an interesting thing. Just like those you know two different eras, but uh, you know same pace there. So I think it's just have happy accident there. But yeah, I just think it's tough. I think it's tough. The depth of the Heat. Um, make this difficult. Now, if if you, if we had talked about early on heat, right? Then you know may, where they don't have quite the depth. Maybe 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 we're we're talking here. But again, this this is the most actualized version of this team. Yeah. So pick 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 even the year before when they just don't have Ray Allen as another shooter. They only had Mike Miller. I mean, there's a lot of things that Heat did not do great from a front office standpoint. It's a, it's a hard thing when you're paying guys a lot of money for of the salary cap to always have the role players to to finesse and be the best fit not to mention this is part of the nba changing is the heat and spurs with like the hyper ball movement type of offense like where everyone you know kind of eats a little bit like this is kind of like one of the things that like enables the warriors to do it so well here in a short amount of time yeah and and i mean we see i think the end of it all like we see that death if you look at the the lakers just minutes you guys brought it up. I was pretty much two bench players, but Shaq and Kobe pretty much had to play the entire game. You're talking about like Kobe at 43 and Shaq at 42. Like that was like the main way that they destroyed teams. And we know that now things are played a lot differently as far as, well, even in, I was trying to think like even back in 2000, 2012 and 2003, like LeBron was still getting his 40 minutes a game, but everyone else was mid thirties or lower during those playoffs but i do think though let's just say we're finally going down to seven game series if we're looking at like what would the series be i would see this as like a i wouldn't see this like a sweep or anything like that because i could see there's games where things go like the lakers way blow shaq and kobe do what they need to do but i can see it being like a four like a six game series like four two that's what i see 
I think I see it be being a more uh, a, a victory by the Heat a little more handily, like maybe five. I I do I just think that there are some very serious structural issues with the Lakers not being able to you know take care of this. Maybe it's an issue of you know the the refs are very much saying, all right, we're, we're calling all these fouls that they're hack and shack, you know, way too much. And, and Chris Bosch gets fouled out. Okay. Then, then perhaps that allows you to, I don't think that the heat are going super small at, at this time. I don't think that they're really, they would be comfortable doing something like that. So it probably allows you to, to, for the Lakers to not be so overwhelmed in a particular game. If, if, you know, Bosch is not getting spaced out, spacing out the three. So, I could see a game, maybe, or maybe there's a couple of games like you're saying, but I, I don't see it going more than more than five or six. I don't think. Oh, I think, I think the likelihood of a Shaq absolute annihilation game occurring, and that's a guaranteed win, and then a similar thing happening with Kobe for another, like a the, the second one, would be like the like the way the Lakers kind of stay competitive. But I, I think the gen- general flow of the game would be heavily favored to Miami because. I, I think they just it's it's also part of how basketball changes. Just a more empowered team, a lot more people are able to do things. I just feel like watching the you know the, the old triangle offense. Like you know I know they move the ball around and you know try to find little finesse angles, but I feel like for the most part it's, it's going to be a stagnant thing when you're talking about how much how much switching and um, like swarm style defense the Heat could put on some guys who aren't used to having the ball in their hands as much. Yeah, that's fair. And by the way, Ethan. Um, I didn't realize this is one last thing before we move on. Did not realize the Heat started to decided to start Udonis Haslam in 19 games during the playoffs. Did not. He really... um, he got the uh, ceremonial start for quite a while. I forgot about that. I mean, it, we had a 32 year old Udonis Haslam, so it wasn't it wasn't all he bad. wasn't a bad player yet, but he was uh, he wasn't good. All right. So with this series, though, it seems like we're in consensus that it would be the Heat moving on. So. Yeah, so let's go ahead and go to our next uh, our next matchup. Uh, the next matchup is the 13-14 Spurs versus the 96-97 Bulls. So that's what we're looking at. The two versus seven. Once again, this was randomized. We didn't say that the Spurs are the number two seed overall. I don't know if it's just whatever, but we're having the Spurs versus the Bulls. Now, I'm, I'm going to let you guys start with this one. I kind of want to hear how you guys feel about these. Because we, we, we kind of said a lot about the 13-14 Spurs before we got on the podcast. But I want to hear – I like starting off – for me, I personally like to hear first, like, the old school teams. Like, how do we feel about them first coming into these matchups? Oh, yeah. Like, obviously, there's this guy named Michael Jordan that plays for the uh, for the Bulls. Very good player. Um, this season, he actually was a pretty good three-point shooter as well. Shot 37%. Like, that's a, that's a very good number number for our guy. Oddly enough, like Scottie Pippen took more threes per game than Michael Jordan did. I guess that just kind of goes to show, like when you have something that works so well, like you have an ease of comfort getting to something. I guess Michael Jordan just was like, "Yeah, I can, I can get to a wide open mid ranger all the time. Why would I ever shoot these threes? And where Scottie Pippen was the guy who, you know, received passes a little bit more often, so probably took most of his threes as spot ups. I mean, I'm just looking at this team, Elkin, and I see, you know, I see a really good three-point shooter in Steve Kerr that could still be utilized. I see Ron Harper still playing a lot of minutes. He was not a bad three-point shooter, shot 36% this year. 
Um, not a lot of other three-point shooting, but I think with their ability of Michael Jordan to shoot and he him being the primary guy with the ball in his hands, I really think his ability to keep the ball moving, to stay engaged on offense without being a high-dose three-point shooter, I think this team can overcome it. I'd like to see what Tony Kukoc's career three-point shooting is, because obviously we all remember his game winner of the year. Mike Mike didn't play, so he was actually three-point. Um, he actually was a 33% three-point shooter for his career, so maybe not. I guess I was optimistic that he shot a little bit better. I I think his playmaking is still very valuable. Mm-hmm. I think this team can overcome a lot of the problems that uh we would typically assign to a old school team. Yeah, and this is a team that would definitely have the flexibility of putting out a smaller lineup. Compared to some of the older teams, this is a team that we think of. So Luke Lonely was their quote-unquote center. But a lot of times in their final lineup, they took him out, and you would have like a Dennis Rodman, you would have a Tony Kukoc, Ron Harper, then Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. And by the way, I'm going to bring this guy up to you guys because I remember watching him. This guy didn't get a whole lot of minutes. Uh, during the regular season, got 15.3 in the playoffs, though, he went up to 17 minutes. There is a player on the name there by the name of Bison Dele. Used to be called Brian Williams. He's a 6'9 forward. He's a guy whose game, like as far as like three-point shooting, is not going to translate. But he was a guy who was like versatile defender and rim runner. Like he's a guy like 6'9 can switch on the guards very, very easily and keep up with guards. Like that's the one thing. I'll tell you about him, like watching his game. I remember watching those games with him. He could, his game would translate well to the NBA. He would just need to develop a better shot. And by the way, random side note about him. He got lost. He he mysteriously got lost on a boating trip with his brother. No one ever know what happened and was declared dead in 2002. Just going to say that about him. Just a random thing. So speaking to like this, I mean, do we, th- we, do we think like Luke Longley basically just matches like, I mean, do you think it comes to the point where it's like okay, Tiago splitter minutes? Yeah, like, that's I you. Think, I think that would be it, because I could see them like at the because with the thirteen fourteen Spurs, um, you guys help me out remembering their their lineups towards the end. Like Ethan, do you remember Richard like finals lineups like how they were like end of the games or close games? Which lineup did they roll out most of the time? I think most – if there was, you know, big minutes needing to be played, it was a Tim Duncan, Kawhi Leonard, Tony Parker, Mon Ginobili, and Boris Diaw. Or if they would need if they need to go a little bit smaller, they would go Danny Green and have a, heavy, a heavier guard lineup. Um, I, I know Tiago started. He started 18 of the 23 games they played in the playoffs that year. But he he was, you know, he, he was a – he was primarily – a guy who was there to like kind of keep the like you know set the tone with you know like some good defense to start, knowing that Tony Parker and, and can really carry the offense in the first quarter, get everything moving in the right direction, and then they play opened up and started playing more beautiful basketball. Yeah, I I mean you look at like those those six names you mentioned: Tiago Splitter, Ballinelli, and Patty Mills. Those are the guys all getting more than 15 minutes a game uh, in in the playoffs, and so those are you know th- that's the nine man rotation that you know pop was probably trusting i yeah for me like i look at this and think to myself all right well um i i'm trying to figure out the kind of the defensive approach here for for the bulls like can you cover 
or attempt to cover Tim Duncan with um, Dennis Rodman? Like, how, how does that go? Because if you look at Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan is probably taking, uh, and I, w- I would assume he would be defending wh- whoever would be on ball. Uh, you'd probably have Pippen guarding Kawhi Leonard. Uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Michael would probably they probably put Michael on like a Tony Parker, like Parker. Yeah, I could yeah. see Michael putting it. And interesting to see. So like with Rodman, oh man, if we were getting, I gotta I gotta remind myself as far as Rodman's defensive skills towards this time period of his career. I will say this: he has a good track record during the Bulls run and going back even further Pistons run in the early '90s of guarding bigger players. Robin was really good. He had a really strong base and athletic enough to know to position himself. That's the one thing about Robin. His positioning was really great. Like, honestly, think of Rodman like how it is going against Draymond in the post. Like, some people are like, oh, Draymond's undersized. But Draymond's a very good post defender. Think of Robin like that. Where Robin would be able to give bigger guys. Fuss. So, I think Robin, like, he wouldn't be able to completely shut down Tim Duncan. But makes things difficult. And that's where I, that's where I look at it. It's just... And I have to remind myself too. I think going and look at this 13-14 Spurs, that we're getting a very, very young Kawhi Leonard. So we're not getting the polished Kawhi that we have, who's a final, who's like the 2019 Finals MVP. He did win Finals MVP in the 14 series, but for me, you have like the 19 Kawhi was. You guys both know he was all around offensively. For me, one of the better offensive players in mid range. But in this series, he's still finding his footing when it comes to that, and that'll be interesting to see. And then. The Bulls running uh, running with that Tony Kukoc there, it'll be interesting to see like where he would go as well. Like they might just put him on someone who he doesn't have to move around a lot defensively. Sounds like Boris Dio to me. <laughs> I mean, I think there's some player comparisons you can you can make there between a, a Kukoc and a Dio. Guys who are ball movers, yeah. not not necessarily hesitant shooters, but probably not the best option to shoot all the time. I mean, I know Boris. He had a great he had a great season this year. Shot 40 percent in the playoffs from three. I think he shot yeah he shot 40 percent in the regular season. Like Boris Dio was having a, a peak, oh, basically a peak Boris Dio season, even though he was you know you know kind of chunky at this stage. I think it comes down to, guys, there's that infamous video of LeBron James uh, speaking an expletive into his jersey as he's taking free throws, and he sees Kawhi Leonard check back into the game. And I'm curious to think, like, because I think the Bulls are a much better team. I think they have got, like, I think they have guys closer to, like, being at the peak of their excellence than this Spurs team does, even though this team, this team was incredible. Um, I worry that a healthy Michael Jordan, a, a, a Pippen before his uh, his back injury that was killing him that last season that we were, we we you know seen documented in the Last Dance. I I wonder if those guys are just a little too close to like their best moments for the Spurs team to really have that 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 peak like this team like this Bulls team would. Because Tim Duncan, we have to remember this is not this is a 37 year old Tim Duncan. 31 year old Parker. He's he might be the only guy who's pretty much at the peak of his powers. And and I will say this with his bowls, like they weren't the best offensive team during this season. I mean, besides net rating having one of the greatest net ratings ever, they did have a, a solid defensive team. And I'll think you guys know how we talked about the Heat with a swarming defense. That's what the Bulls of those 90s were known for because Ron Harper, Scottie Pippen, and Michael Jordan on the perimeter that was their key thing was swarming defense. And then you had Dennis Rodman. He was a, he was like a one-on-one post defender, but also to help defense. That's where Dennis Rodman also excelled in as well. Yeah, sometimes he would chase rebounds. That's another story. But that was that's what would worry me going against if I'm the Spurs. 
that we have our smaller guards and the Bulls. I mean, Ron Harper was six five, six six. Michael Jordan six six, and you have Pippen, who's six seven. I, I mean, I think he might even be taller than that. So you're throwing it at the Spurs lineup, but I think that'll be very hard for them to get their offensive rolling. And then looking back, uh, going across the other way, let's just say the Spurs are like, we're going to put Kawhi Leonard on Michael Jordan. We're just going to go ahead and put our best defender on their best offensive weapon. Well, Michael Jordan had reached a point in his career where he's like, I don't need to go ahead and shoot 100 times a game or like 40, let's be more realistic, 30 times a game for us to win. He had more confidence in his teammates. And then Pippen at that time was still known for slashing. He had a nice, decent post-up game as well. And I think that's what would happen. Like Jordan would be like, all right, you're going to do this to me. I'm just going to go ahead and just adjust it, readjust the way I play, and I'm going to get more people involved because I trust my teammates more in this stage of my career than in earlier stages of my career. Yeah, and I think when you take Kawhi Leonard away from being like a like versatile, like guard a lot of different people, I, I really think it's hard. Like Danny Green can't keep up with the physicality of Pippen. A Boris Diaz is going to get ran past by Pippen. Like, Tim Duncan's just going to be at the rim, but he's not at his peak self where he can be the best rim protector in the league like he might have been from time to time, um, you know, different games over his this length of his career. After that, you know, all these, like, the, the Spurs had a lot of good players and, like, guys who weren't, like, the problem defensively. But they don't have a lot of solutions defensively. And I think that's why the Bulls actually, un- unless the Spurs just have the hottest, hottest week of shooting, I think the, the Bulls are just overwhelming with like the, the their ability to have size at all times, to still have shooting on the court, and to have the individual matchups to slow down the best players of the Spurs. I just I can't see a way that Spurs like get get to that stage where they can get hot enough to uh to to, to really do anything. If Tim Dun- if we take Tim Duncan peak and throw him on this team, I think it's a wildly different story because then you're combining the shooting with the passing ability and the post game of a Tim Duncan. Whereas that part of his game was really not not the presence you would need to overcome a team like the Bulls. And, and you know, we we did debate. You know, should, we, should we have the 0405 with it? But then by that time, it's just they don't have the, the supplementary pieces to make it happen. I think that team would get beat like, a lot worse. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, I'm surprised at how well I think this Spurs team is matching up against um, the Bulls and, and kind of kind of fitting fitting what they do. It's just, you know, you got Kawhi Leonard, but, you know, being able to defend. But with this, I just, in in, in the Chicago, um, you know, in Chicago's era, you could ISO just because of the defensive rules. Like we mentioned those earlier. Whereas now you're, you're probably not doing that. And so you're probably trying to get Kawhi off of, off of uh, Michael. And so I, I just wonder how, like if you got Dennis Rodman coming and sending a mean screen, like I feel like that frees up Michael. Just, I, 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 I know that it's going to be difficult. I know LeBron James, oh, you know, having to work, you know, as much as he did, but there are ways you can get, defenders off of off of players and so that's just a thing i i worry about I, I just i just don't know if they've got the other supplementary defenders in the way that you need to and i i think that that the bulls um make it here but i do think it goes at least six i would say uh that that, that that's just that's my, my thought about six six or six or seven but i, I got by bulls the way here. the way you the way you brought up uh, uh setting picks is gonna sound bad because i'm crossing over to australian players Think of Luke Longley, the way that Andrew Bogut set picks. I mean, a little bit illegal. 
that's what Luke Longley did back in those Bulls playing days in those in those 90s runs. Like Luke Longley did a bunch of those picks. Like so that's what you would have, and he would do a lot of like handing off the ball and doing that. So I think I think this team. I mean, out of the older teams, I'm gonna say this right now. I think the Bulls 96, 97 might be the team of the older teams that can translate well to modern basketball. If that makes sense to you guys. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I, mean, I think that's one of the reasons why as well. Like they, I mean, other than just how you know the, how dominant the the Bulls were in that yeah, stretch. Yeah, they almost won. Sep- they almost won seventy team. games in back to back seasons. Let's not forget that this year they won sixty nine games, and the team that beat them in the I think it was the Bucks might have beat them in the last game, celebrated like it was their championship. But I have this team uh, going five. I have this series going five. I think it's uh, going to be easier, but I'm definitely going Bulls. Yeah, I'm going Bulls. I'm I'm going I'm leaning six, but I think it's closer to five than it is seven. Just because I think I think the Spurs have to shoot so well to win games, and I think that that's a lot to ask. They did have a real, really good shooting team, but I still think it's a lot to ask. They they were shooting well in the playoffs too. People are people are taking a lot of threes at high clips. I, I, but I don't know how many of those teams they played against had a 6'5", really solid defensive point guard, and a 6'6", really solid defensive shooting guard, and a 6'7", maybe bigger, really solid small forward. Like, I just think that the diet of shots would have gotten tougher. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Um, so we've got those two uh, down. Uh, that's going to lead to a 2012-2013 uh, heat Versus uh, 96-97 Bulls in round two. But let's get to the three versus six matchup. The 16-17 Warriors versus the 85-86 Celtics. Now, guys, I don't have this going well for the Celtics at all. I just don't. I just don't. Like, I I know. Like, I can, I can hear Bill Simmons, you know, talking about, you know, the beautiful game and all the passing. And it, it just, I don't. This is where I, I look at I look at this team. Um, and I wonder to myself in, uh, if we're not translating teams back into their era with those rules, like no one was taking threes. Larry Bird was taking 2.4 threes a game, which is like more than like half the league by himself. And so the impetus to be able to defend out in space isn't there. You got, you know, you know, you have, uh, Parish and McHale at the rim, but it just the ability to defend. I just don't know how, like I just don't know how the Celtics are going to defend this Warriors team. It just there's just no way. Yeah, it's gonna be really tough for them because I just don't see the athletes, and we're you know we're talking about just defending far away from the rim. Like let's not forget, like there's there's guys who got to the rim on this team. One notably, uh, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, the best scorer of all time, the guy who cannot be stopped by anyone. Like I just, there's just no, there's no conceivable way for even if I think we just assign the ability to shoot to the Celtics, like just random players, just just pick Rick Carlisle who didn't even play very much and just make him a lights out shooter, no matter what. I, I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. I think it. I don't think there's enough defense on this team um, with how spread out they're going to be. I think there's plenty of good individual defenders. Like Larry Bird, like I think, got underrated because of like you know some of the back injuries that plagued him at, towards the end of his career as being a bad defender. And he was a 
perfectly fine defender, especially for his era uh, when he played. Um, and I know, I know for a fact, Kevin McHale was a good defender. Like he hit those limbs, like, you know, shuffling the feet. Like he's one of those guys who was a great defender for his era. And I, I'm going to go ahead and say, you know what? We're translating that. He's keeping up with athleticism of the times. We're not going to look back, look poorly back on like, you know, just a training regiment from the eighties. And I think Robert Parrish, you know, legend of, of health and excellence. That man's going to be a great rim protector still. But I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing for one, the size on the perimeter that's going to be needed to deal with a, a, a Clay Thompson. Like, I just don't, a Clay Thompson is, is almost as big as Larry Bird. And I don't see anyone other than Danny Ainge that has maybe a little bit of size if you want to sign him a point guard defensive abilities. But then you still got Steph Curry running around. Like, I just don't see how this team matches up with the size athleticism, despite if we kind of transition over modern trainings and physicalities. Yeah, and I think that's a big thing. I mean, even looking at, like, their best on-ball defender is Dennis Johnson. Back in those 86 Celtics, the best on-ball defender they had was Dennis Johnson, but he was like 6'3". So your only hope would be put him on Steph Curry, but if you look at who he guarded, the players who he guarded never went around, moved around the way Steph Curry is, and that's that's an issue that I have in. I think, I mean, it's going to be pretty apparent as we talk about these 16-17 Warriors, how dominant they were in that season when they won the championship and how dominant they're going to be in almost any era. Like, I was looking up more, like, because I know the Warriors only lost one game all playoffs, and I'm like, man, how many teams only lost one game? There's been three teams. The Warriors, 2016-17, Lakers of 2001, and then going back to Philadelphia 76ers back in 83, teams that lost one. And by the way, the Warriors, um, they almost went under, they only lost, the game that they lost was that game four against the Cavs in the finals. So they were undefeated all the way up until that game four came very close. But I think for me, and this is going to be one of the biggest things, I think Durant is going to be the ultimate X factor no matter what matchup these Warriors have. I think that that's, and Ethan talked about it, one of the most unstoppable scores in NBA history, just having it. And even looking at the Warriors versus uh, the older teams, but then looking at their possible matchups with any of the current teams, there's going to be rarely any team that's going to be keep be able to keep up with that offensive power. Like, I'm looking at, like, across the board. I'm not trying to, like, say, like, oh, they can't be beaten, but there's going to be a very hard team for anyone to beat. But I don't think I don't think the Celtics, as much as they were great in that time, they have the best home record ever in NBA history. They went 40-1 and that season with the way things are played now. I think Richard said it best. This might be one of those series that might be over quicker. Like, they had the best defensive rating uh, in the league that year, the, um, the the Celtics. But again, you just there's just no way to defend the 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 team that you need to. And if you if you watch a little bit of you know the, their games, like again, the defensive rules like allow them to be able to like their passing to be. If you know exactly what the other team can and cannot do, there's no like gray area there. And you're as good of a passing team as that team was. You're just going to abuse teams, and that's what they did. And and so and and because teams didn't take threes, because the, there was no impetus to spread them out, then everything you know you're getting the most e- e- efficient shots at the rim. And guess what? Now you got you got you know the twin towers there. And so that's kind of I, I just I just don't see a way that they make it happen. Like you know Bill Walton at this stage of his career is you know the sixth man in in the playoffs it's just 
I don't I don't see how you can you can keep up. And this is the issue with these old teams because again they they're not not only you know Ethan you mentioned you know the the, the training and you know you know of the modern era if they had all that you know available to them and what that would be like, but as well it's the the roster building uh, to to meet the era and you don't have you you just haven't decided to put that importance on 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 the athletes that you would need to make it happen and and so this just this just seems like this seems like a sweep to me i'm i I can't really get past it and i and i agree with that and just to you know satisfy any celtics fans i want to mention that part of what made the warriors work and what kind of started off some of this like beautiful game as we say that the warriors played as well is this a is like you know this era lakers and celtics teams like heavy ball movement like freedom like freedom flowing offenses guys like you know larry bird like catching and shooting off motion like it was it wasn't from three all the time it was very rarely from three but this is where we start to see like I would say the mo- more creative sets of, of NBA basketball coming. It was it stopped being just an, an isolation athleticism game. Guys like Magic Johnson, guys like Larry Bird, who had that like next level of vision, next level of passing and understanding of how space can be created without the ball. This is where that starts. And so you don't necessarily get to the Warriors in the beautiful game that they play, that Stephen Curry just blows out of the water and then having Durant as, as a, Durant being a floor spacer for a team like this, that already played a beautiful game with Harrison Barnes in that spot. It just makes it unfair, but I just want to give credit to the Celtics, even though they are not going to win this series. Or I don't think they'll win a game. They are one of the reasons that the Warriors became possible. Shout out to them as they take their four losses and walk out of the gym. Yes, yes they would. And they'll be okay with it. But yeah, I'm on the same boat as you guys. Nothing different. On my- yeah, it's just it, it's it's just tough. Um, yeah, this is yeah, just yeah, they can't they can't hang. Um, okay, so we've got that. Um, now let's time to get to our last matchup: the four versus five, the O three O four Pistons. Yes, I rammed them in there, even though they're not an all time team. But I am fascinated with how they would stack up against some all time teams. Um, and and we've got them going against the eighty six eighty seven uh, Lakers. So how do we? First of all, Elkin, can you give us a little bit of guidance on this eighty six eighty seven? Lakers team. Um, this is a team, by the way. I'm just gonna put it out there. Was on the forefront of uh, three point shooting compared to other teams during their time, as far as attempt. I mean, they had two guys. They had one guy who averaged more than two attempts per game, and one guy who almost averaged two points. I think think of this team though as an offensive powerhouse where you have Magic Johnson, and then on the wing you had a James Worthy and Byron Scott, who. Byron Scott was their shooter. I mean, his three-point shooting percentage was 43%, but this is like 1.8 attempts per game, guys. So take it with a grain of salt right here. I think you have to heavily depend on, though, Magic Johnson, who averaged pretty much 24 points per game, 12 assists, 6 rebounds, 1.7 steals, by the way. And then on their front court, though, they had A.C. Green, who not only won a championship with this Lakers team, but also won a championship with the 2000 Lakers. Just a little, little FYI for you guys 
And then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at the age of 39, who at this point of his career was giving you still 17.5 points per game, but wasn't the same as, like, if you had a prime Kareem, I might say this might be one of the harder teams to beat. But, so you're looking at a team that just offensively could not be contained. That's the one thing I'm going to say. Crazy thing is that they were known as the Showtime Lakers because of how many points that they score. Their pace wasn't that. It wasn't. It wasn't. They weren't first in pace. They were tenth in pace out of 23 teams because they were a team that would still slow it down for Kareem. But offensively, they were the best offensive team. Defensively, they're an average defensive team. So think of it like that. What this team is, they would run whenever they got the chance. But pretty much every half court was a lot of going into the post. That's what it was. Half court offense going into the post over and over again. You mentioned pace. Sorry, real, real, real quick. I just want you mentioned pace. You know, not not a team that's getting there. Like the pace that they're having is so far and beyond the piston teams. <laughs> uh, like their, their their pace was. You know, you mentioned tenth, one hundred and one, right? One hundred one and a half. Um, and for the Pistons, Go ahead. we're down to eighty-seven point nine, eighty-seven point nine. I, mean, I, I will so, I will say this like, though. We're gonna. This is like different eras. Like this is when the NBA, like I mean, mid '80s high scoring era, and we got that dip from '90s basketball, to early 2000s, where it's just offensive production dip until we got another offensive renaissance coming back in the 2010s. So I am gonna say that for sure. I think that this Pistons team would. I personally think that this might be one of those matchups where you could see a team struggling, like a newer team struggling with the older team. But go ahead, Ethan. Oh, I was just gonna. I was going to mention with, with with the Lakers and their pace, and you said like they're you know middle of the road defense. They were they were seventh that year, which you know like I I'm not going to pull up the whole list. They could have been like a half a point from being fifteenth. Like I don't, I have no idea, but uh, it's just there's there's a lot of I'm I'm just not I'm not seeing a lot of like outs for the Pistons. I think the Pistons are you know going to have a really good defense, but like the thing is like. I'm looking at Michael Cooper, and he shot a good percentage. He shot two two a game, and I check his free throw percentage, and it matches up that he would have been a pretty good three-point shooter if you kind of scope it out a little bit more. I'm just, I just, I feel really good about this Lakers team. Well, well, so so. First off, you you were trying to compare the Lakers to their era. What what stat were you trying to to compare? Because I have that page pulled uh, up. Defensive rating, right? Well, the points per game. Well, I was looking at defensive rating. I said that season they were seventh. I said I didn't pull up the. I haven't pulled up the season to see like how, like where like you know what a standard deviation for that season would have been, like how how much better is seventh than sixteenth for you know. All right. So yeah. So seventh to like middle of the road. Like so league average was one hundred eight defensive rating, and the Lakers were one hundred six and a half. The best team, the Utah Jazz, that year were one hundred three. Um, 0.7. So that's kind of the, the the differences we're talking about. Um, we're talking about there now with with the Pistons and you know you talk about like the the shooting ability there. Like you know one of the reasons why the Pistons were such low scoring is because of the pace that they went at. They went at such a slow pace. Um, you know really gaming the system. Uh, that year. But Chauncey Billups uh, in, in the regular season, 30, 38, 39% three-point shooter. Tayshaun Prince, 36% three-point shooter. You know, Memo Kerr, 
who's coming off the bench, who I don't think would it would be necessarily a problem for him in a series like this. Shooting about 37, 38%. Uh, you know, you got Rashid Wallace not really shooting quite as well as you would imagine, at least in the in the regular season. Uh, in the uh, in, in the playoffs, he yeah, he's he's up near like 30s, 30 you know, 30% from, from three. So it's, it's, it's not like all world beaters there. But I do think that offensively, like you, you, you put both of those teams here. If, if they play to, to like the, the, a reasonable pace, I, I think that, you know, at least with the starters with the Pistons, and I, I think that you'd be okay. But the, the, I think the problem with the, that the Pistons have is their depth. Um, in some of these matchups, like I think for me, it's nice to look and say, okay, well, you know, at least with the starters, I can imagine, uh, you know, people matching up relatively well, but I don't know, not here. Yeah, let me let me hop on that for a second, because I love the Pistons starting lineup. And I love the best version of the Pistons starting lineup, which is like, you know, let's say Rasheed Wallace shooting closer to like, you know, some of his better three-point shooting years, Tayshaun Prince. And Richard Hamilton being on at the same time, because right like the way I'm looking at it, Richard Hamilton had a horrible three-point shooting regular season, had a good three-point shooting playoffs. Uh, Tayshawn Prince had a bad three-point shooting playoffs, had a solid regular season. So you kind of just needed all to kind of come together and coalesce. Like even Chauncey Billups shot like down to like towards 35% uh, for the playoffs after shooting 38 in the regular season. But man, it would have been really nice if this team had one more bench player that could have given you like 15.8 points per game and grab some rebounds, probably been an okay ball mover, you know, probably, probably turns into preferably a from Syracuse. Oh, some guy that ends good is going to be in the hall of fame someday. Interesting. <laughs> it would be nice if you guys had someone like that. Cause I, I honestly think if, if the Pistons had a one Carmel Anthony, and I know that that's not what we're talking about today. This team who I believe went to four more straight, Conference time, uh, conference uh, championship appearances didn't win anymore. Uh, um, but they won, they won one more to get to the Spurs, put to lose to the Spurs. But I think they went to five straight conference championship series. Um, I would, I, I think, the Pistons would be in the mix to, at some point in that run, have a chance to win this entire thing. If they had a young Carmelo, which makes me sad in theory, but kind of you know happy, like kind of happy at your sadness. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's that 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 that's the issue. It's, you look at the bench, and there's just no way that you you know Corliss Williamson isn't doing it. Um, you know Lindsey Hunter, great for, but it, it's like you're a little bit over overextended because you're having to, uh, you know, he's a just a defensive point guard, you know, and you know, Memo Kerr, fine for, I think, some of these matchups where you've got, like, the older lumbering bigs. But if you had this Pistons team facing off against, uh, you know, like a Warriors team that could go small, man, you're done, right? It's, it's, there's it, it, just not enough, not enough depth there. And so that's, that's the, the issue that, that I see, um, you know, look at looking at this, at this Lakers team. I, yeah, there there is a little bit like who's who would you have running around with with rip and and trying to you know to to, to, to deal with oh, that I, that would be I Byron Scott Cooper I'll be yeah Byron, Byron Scott or Michael Cooper 
I, I feel pretty good about Michael Cooper keeping up with um with Rip Hamilton personally. I, Michael Cooper, one of those like, you know, I think he made the did he make the Hall of Fame? He, I mean, I don't know if he should have if he did. But he's one I, of the guys who played. He did for not a make long... he did not make the Hall of Fame. Some people okay. think he should though. But he's one of those guys that like he he's right on the precipice of being like he's just he's just a long term incredible role player. Like, good shooter, great defender. Like, there's nothing wrong with his game inherently. But, yeah, he, he wasn't the guy to just go get his own bucket. But, like, I think he's the kind of guy who – I think he's a guy who does transcend errors just based on how good of a defender he was and how quality of a shooter he was even before shooting was super important. And, by the way, I'm, I'm going to say this um, in regards to defensive prowess. A.C. Green – if we're talking about an AC Green in that in that era in that time, you're also getting a guy who's very very versatile defender as well. Six nine guy who can move around a lot. I'm gonna tell you guys that right now. Yeah, he was always pent up, from what I understand. Ready to uh, ready to definitely ready to be released released on anybody. You are correct about that. Um, <laughs> let me let me let me ask a slightly different question here. Um how do you think that the Pistons match up like defensively? What do you think some of the defensive decisions they make? Like I look at it, I think, all right, well, Rashid, you're on Kareem. Like that, that I think has to and be then, where you start. Yeah, but then it's, okay, well, where do you decide to put Ben Wallace? That, like, how do you go ben about Wallace will probably be him? on AC Green on... or because I can see them putting um, Tayshawn on Magic. I can see them doing that. Tayshawn on Magic Johnson. That, that would feel like the logic because that's, that's similar with the Bulls in the 91 finals put Pippen on Magic Johnson to slow him down. That'll be the only way you got to put a long defender with him. Yeah, I just, I, I wonder, I wonder, it's like, do you, do you put Ben on, like, on, like, AC? Or, you know, do you, do you put him on, you decide, okay, you know, screw it, we're, we're, we're going to put you on Magic Johnson and, and just have you do your best at, like, that, that's, that's interesting to me and, and kind of fun, but, I mean, everything. Everything else makes sense. It's just the question of do you put who do you put Tayshon and Ben on, um, and 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 maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you try it out a couple ways and you get beat, and then you try it another way. Maybe you sneak one, you get beat. Um, but yeah, I think this is one where I think that this Lakers team translates better than the uh, better than the Celtics team. Like if if it was the matchups were different and it was like the Celtics team against the Pistons team, I don't know. I feel a little bit better about it. Um, if I'm the, uh, you know, if, if, I, if I'm the Pistons, but I, I don't know if, I don't know if I have them, would have them winning that. That's not the situation that we have, but I, that, that, that's the question that I'm un, unsure about. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if this, I feel like this Lakers team translates a little bit better, um, than that, than that Celtics team. Yeah. And I think, I think the craziest thing with, with dealing with Ben because of how good of a defender he is. But like, even though he's like his his great strength is keeping someone away from the rim. Like if, if he's a post up defender, like if he was gonna go up against a Kareem, it's keeping him away from his shot. Well, with Kareem, Kareem had such good touch. Like he he's the kind of guy who can you know take that hook shot like walking across the paint. You know, like, he's still even in his old age, which is just a free throw line. Yeah, he will go all the score. way out to the free throw line with that. Yeah. So like Ben's greatest strength, like he's still not gonna be able to fully contest all the way up. Because Kareem is so big, which I, th- I think you were wise to say, yeah, yeah put that's why you put, put Sheet on him because Sheet's got a lot of the same uh, characteristics, just you know, not not quite the super duper athlete that Ben was. So again, I think I think you're right to, to say put Ben 
as like the Roman guy, find the guy who can't shoot, let him guard him, be there for help. Um, and I'd say maybe there is an opportunity for him to, to guard magic a little bit. If, you know, if that's what, I think magic would have a little bit of his way with him. Just, I think, or I think Ben Wallace would get in a lot of foul trouble. Uh, I mean, the, the problem as well is it's like, you, you've got that. Even if, even if you could stay out of foul trouble there, it's now you're, I mean, I know that you don't have to worry about magic shooting from, from outside uh, very, very well, but you, you do need to be out there on him. Uh, you can't give him free free looks at the whole at the court, and so now your rim protector is is away. And, and I will and I will say this: if you back up too much from Magic, he had a pretty decent mid range. Like his jump shot wasn't he had like a one handed jump shot, but mid range he was like talking about like 16, 17 feet. He had a solid game too. So you can't back up too much. Besides besides being wary of him creating for others, that was your thing. And even so. Um, Let's just say, because Ben Wallace, great post defender, right, Richard? If I remember correctly, Ben Wallace, great post defender. Yeah, yeah. So Magic yeah. liked to post a lot, so that'll be one of the things that Magic couldn't do as much. But the thing was that Magic was also quick off the post, so I'll be interested to see how Ben would counter that. That'll be one thing for me to. I, mean, I think Ben could do that. I mean, you've talked me out of it already. Like Ben's got to be on, on uh, you know, AC Green or, or someone like that. Like I, you just, I, you got to put Tayshawn out on him. Otherwise, otherwise, Ben's taken away from from the rim, and then you're you're losing you're losing what makes it best. And guess what? My uh, sorry, um, uh, Lindsey Hunter, d- b- being being the defensive menace he is uh, against whom? Who does it matter that he's guarded? Like it's it's it doesn't it doesn't. So like you're like Memo Kerr, nice. Maybe you can space it out a little bit, and but it's then I don't know. It's just it's it's a problem of depth. I've got I've got the Lakers winning at probably five. Maybe you're able to make it happen, but it's 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 a it's not one that goes down to the wire. And I think an important thing to remember, like while we're we're going through this, we're talking about oh, like what do you do with Kareem? What do you do with Magic? We still haven't talked about James Worthy, and you know that's where Ben Wallace might end up residing. But if you're helping off James Worthy and he's cutting to the basket, you're gonna have to recover really quick. Yeah. Man. You're going to have to recover really quick because James Worthy is not a man to be trifled with. Like I'm just saying, like we, we, we talked about all these th- ways for them to kind of slow down Kareem, kind of slow down Magic, and you got James Worthy sliding in baseline for layups and dunks. Yeah, I, it's just it's just not a good matchup. And for... on top of that, and on, and on top of that, you have both Magic and James Worthy can take the ball and go coast to coast. So. Change your mind. Change your mind. Um, we kind of have to have Rip guard Magic, uh, and and which you know is fine. But but now now, now the the idea for having Tayshon or Ben on him is like getting some size to match him, so you can't see over the defense quite as well. I mean, Rip's still six foot seven, but no, he's not. Now you don't have that advantage. But he's not definitely not as strong. <laughs> Rip a... is not six seven. Wait a minute. What is six six? That's and that's, that's a lie too. He was not that tall. No, he's. T- I thought okay. Rip, I thought Rip was a okay. tall shooting guard. That's what I remember him as. Rip, Rip was a t- Rip was, Rip was a tall. That's shooting what I remember. Guard. I feel Rip. like he was not bigger, any bigger than Ray Allen, and Ray Allen's listed at six five. That's just my personal opinion. We're gonna have to go back and see some film here, but uh, I, I. Them skinny, we them skinny we legs to... weren't stretched out that much. Listen, skinny, but he, he was a tall man. Um, point 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 being, not tall enough. Um and. You're right. Yeah, it's like I'm I'm reassessing everything 
<laughs> on the fly, and it's okay. Yeah, James Worthy. Uh, you, that's that's who you need to guard. Have Ben Wallace on, and then to stick Tayshawn. It's it's a problem. It's a problem. Um, I think we all of us have Lakers. Um, how many games do you guys think it goes? Four, five. Uh, that round. I'm gonna go four, just because I yeah, feel like, I, think I think four think as they well. Would struggle to score. I think the Pistons. I'm I'm fine being time. a homer. I'm fine being a homer and saying and saying five, but that's I. It's a loss. It's a loss. Okay, we have our matchups. Um, next round, next week, we will do uh, Heat Bulls, and then Warriors versus Old School Lakers, and we'll also talk about the the final matchup between between them. Um, I look forward to it, guys. This has been an interesting uh, and, and fun discussion, uh, and. Hey, listen, we don't want to talk about what's going on in the actual NBA because uh, the Pistons are awful. The Pacers are trading everyone, and, and you know, it's The, it's, heat, it's the heat are our final hope, Ethan. Why the Heat the final hope? I mean, like, I got the Warriors. 